Hey, how you doing? I'm Daniel Ruiz Tyson. It is the 13th of December, day 13 of Daniel Ruiz Tyson's Advent Calendar 24 daily podcast to take you right up to Christmas as I look to see if it's possible for me to ever love Christmas again like I did back in my younger days. I still haven't done any Christmas shopping. I rarely do until the last few days. I just refuse to be a part of that madness. There's a little part of me that will visualise Christmas Day morning in front of family, watching them open my last minute presents, and the shame that enters me in those minutes, descending on me in much the same way the Holy Spirit descended on the Apostles. Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, verse 4, if I remember my Catholic schooling correctly. It's a crap version of that, and without being left with the multilingual skills the Apostles got that day. But... I'll deal with that on Christmas Day. For now, I've got 12 more doors to concern myself with as I try to focus on this search for Christmas. I think I've been pretty clear about what Christmas is to me, what it can be again, what I'd like it to be. That's kind of what's taken up much of my large-headed space. I want to make more of an effort with Christmas than my dad did. He just did not engage. There was an incident one Christmas in the mid-80s that summed up my dad's lack of any inclination whatsoever to maintain the mystery of Christmas in our household. The Morley's fiasco in Christmas 77, covered in day 7, had obviously planted a shred of doubt in my young mind about the existence of Father Christmas, but at that stage, it was nothing more. I was young enough to buy whatever explanations my mum had given me that day. I'd kept believing, because Christmas was so magical to me, and you couldn't have Christmas without Father Christmas. As Christmas Eve neared every year, I'd construct a plan in my head to help me finally establish whether Father Christmas was real or not. My mum, while she had abandoned putting our shoes on the windowsill, a Spanish custom to help Father Christmas establish how many kids lived in that house and what sex they were, she was still going through the whole motions of pulling the chest of drawers away from the fireplace. As I inched towards believing Father Christmas just wasn't real, my mum would continue to do these little things to make me challenge my growing doubts. I must have been the last kid in my class at school to still believe in Father Christmas. When classmates mocked me, I shrugged it off. I was still young enough to believe in Father Christmas. I was a late developer. The body hair had yet to arrive. So I hatched a plan which involved hiding behind the settee in the front room. There was one floor in this plan. We all slept in the same room. My English friends who had their own rooms and would have been able to sneak out of their bedrooms at night and into their front rooms after their parents had last checked in on them would have been able to get away with such a plan. I couldn't, not easily. My parents would have noted our absence. After watching Escape from Alcatraz, I considered making a papier-mâché model like Clint Eastwood's character does and leaving it as a decoy in my lower bunk bed. This was shortly before the marital bed-sharing period with my dad of the late 80s. I would then hide behind the settee and wait for Father Christmas to arrive and spring myself on him when he was in our front room. This plan had been in place for three or four Christmases, but I was yet to become the insomniac I'd been since my late teenage years. And I kept falling asleep long before midnight. Realising it was a tall order for me to remain awake, I modified the plan a little, settling instead for leaving an extensive questionnaire for Father Christmas to answer. 
Now, my dad had the most distinctive handwriting I've ever known. He prided himself on his unusual signature, full of swirls and loops. And for five years at school, he signed my journal every week and always asked every Monday if my form tutor had noted his distinctive signature. He was never too worried about my grades. Good job too. It was always about his signature being recognised. And much like my radio and podcast work, the signature slipped below the radar every week. My dad couldn't understand this. His handwriting was very decorative, calligraphy-like, except he never wrote with a calligraphy pen. And yet there was something quite ungainly about his writing. My sister and I put together the questionnaire for Father Christmas. One way or another that Christmas Eve, we would have a better idea, if not conclusive evidence, of Father Christmas's existence. The questionnaire was left on our required taste second-hand emerald green marble table in the front room, along with several mint-flavoured Viscount biscuits. The following morning, I woke up, as always, more deflated than excited that another Christmas, as I saw it, was over. Rather than head over to the tree immediately to begin unwrapping presents, I sat myself down on the settee by the table. The biscuits had been demolished. Some bright green foil wrappers had been left on the table. The questionnaire had been completed in my dad's peculiar writing. Okay, the fact English wasn't Father Christmas's first language wasn't a giveaway, but there was no mistaking the handwriting. The final question we had posited simply asked, Are you Father Christmas? Below it, our supposed overnight visitor had simply scrawled, Yes, I am the Father Christmas. My dad's handwriting was so idiosyncratic that he simply couldn't disguise his handwriting. By the time I discovered another foil wrapper on my dad's side of the bed, unless Father Christmas had jumped into bed for a menage a trois with my parents, I knew the game was up for me. The mystery was over. I would never again have another mint-flavoured Viscount biscuit. Every day I open a door to my advent calendar. If you're listening to this on iTunes, this is the bit where I ask you to visit holdfastnetwork.com where you'll be able to see the pictures behind the doors each day. Behind today's door is a picture of Christmas 1978 and me with the 1970s hair my dad refused to let me cut even when the 80s arrived playing the little drummer boy at the St Mary's Nativity play in Clapham. I remember we were all sat in our dinner centre, which doubled up as the P.E. hall one morning when our music teacher, Mr. Bevington, a tall man, looked a little like Lenin, just picked me out of all the infants and handed me a drum and showed me what I needed to do. Pretty soon, I'd nailed it, and that was it. I was going to be the drummer boy. I'm guessing the song was in vogue because I think it was the year before Bing Crosby and David Bowie had duetted on the song. I still recognise most of the kids' faces in the photograph you can see today. The girl playing Mary was in the year below me, also lived in Clapham North. She was good friends with my sister. She used to visit Mayflower a lot. I also remember one day my mum and my aunt came to see me in the play, as you would expect, except I didn't want them to. I had this shame of not being English as a kid that lasted long into my late teens. 
It's why my parents never made it past the opening 20 minutes of the Kidcop pilot back in 1980 before they were gunned down and I became the ward of a buxom New York detective played by Victoria Principal. My mum and aunt sat right at the front that day and they were trying to get my attention as my shoelaces apparently were undone. Here's the thing, I was terrible with knots. I couldn't do shoelaces or ties up till I got to secondary school. To have my mum and aunt whispering to me in Spanish midway through the play as the baby Jesus was rocked by his mum that I needed to do my laces up mortified me. Let's do this again tomorrow. Daniel Ruiz Tyson's Advent Calendar is a Hold Fast Network production. Visit holdfastnetwork.com or download the show on iTunes. For more of Daniel's work, visit 1607westegg.wordpress.com and you can follow him on Twitter at 1607westegg.